So this morning we are uh, going to be looking at Psalm 15. Let us uh, go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We thank you for your kindness. Lord, we thank you that your word teaches us, instructs us, and tells us of your faithfulness and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, this morning as we prepare to begin, I uh, wanted to just point out uh, something for us to contemplate. We certainly believe that the Lord... Uh, inspired the scriptures writing. He gave the words to uh, the prophets and apostles who wrote it. Uh, But the Spirit was not neglectful following that. What I mean to say is, is that the orders in which we find the scripture in 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 the Bible, um, God had purposes in that, how the Psalms were assembled and in what order that they were put together, those all, um, again, guided by His Spirit. And and the reason I bring that up is because Psalm 15 um, is an excellent psalm to come after Psalm 14. So last week we we studied Psalm 14, but it's probably fallen out of your Remembrance. So I'm going to ask us today uh, to read. We'd like to read all of Psalm 14 for us. Got your, had your morning coffee and cleared your throats to be able to read in that fashion. Jonathan. So as we mentioned last week, Psalm uh, 14 is uh, the first complete um, description of the total depravity of all mankind in the scriptures. And so we go from contrasting what it means for us to recognize who we are before God's law, that is to say totally depraved, unable to do right, um, we, we boast in our own thinking and our own ability to work through things. We see all of this in uh, Psalm 14. And just like, yes, sir. Not just about total depravity, but that that total depravity 
was upon every single last person. Yeah. That's right. And so anyway, I mean, I am uh, I'm paraphrasing uh, both R.A. Alexander and in terms of last week. Um, and also, uh, I'm using another commentary that uh, is well written and cites um, about uh, for every psalm, six other older commentators, including John Calvin, that kind of make this general assessment that in terms of applying to all, it's kind of a, uh, so <clears throat> I'm not saying that, that God's word doesn't teach us that all men were sinners before this, but just in case you thought that there was a square, a person, somebody hiding under a rock, uh, Psalm 14 addresses that in this way. Well, like many of the scriptures, um, you, you can find, particularly in the New Testament, all these contrasting uh, lists. You'll find a list that'll say, don't do this, 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 and this, followed by, do these things, right? Um, sometimes it's the reverse. Do these things and don't do those things. Um, and obviously some people um, I found throughout my life, um, you know, they want to focus on all of the things that God says you shouldn't do. And we must be aware of what those are. But at the same time, we need to focus on doing the things that God tells us to do. Generally speaking, if we spend most of our time focused on or spend our time focused on uh, what God is telling us to do, the actions we are to take, our opportunity to fall into sin shrinks. And so, excuse me, coming into Psalm 15, um, somebody read Psalm 15, verse 1. So, first of all, we have it declared that this is a psalm of David. Second, we have the name of God, Yahweh, who may abide in your tabernacle. Who has the word tent in their translations? Okay. Uh, remember that the tabernacle is uh, a tent. Um, it, it, it was the first, uh, if you want to say, uh, house of God or place where heaven and earth outside of Eden, where God dwelt. God came down and dwelt at a particular tent. We refer to this tent as uh, a tabernacle, his tabernacle, his place uh, of where, again, he is at. So, the, so this first question is, Yahweh, the specific personal God, Yahweh, who is working to redeem um, his people, the question is posed, Yahweh, who may abide, who may dwell, who may be in your tabernacle. That is to enter all the way into your presence. Who may dwell in your holy hill? Um, what's the holy hill in scripture? Mount Zion? Right. So one of the things we do in terms of uh, if you want to try to put a date, oftentimes they try to look for context if you're studying the Psalms. Um, when, when was it the tabernacle or, you know, when did the tabernacle and who brought the tabernacle to Mount Zion? Anyone? 
David, that's right. So David, so it kind of coincides. <coughs> it's a psalm of David. And David is asking this question, um, presumably after he's carried up the tabernacle and placed it on Mount Zion. It says, who may dwell here? Who can enter into your presence? Um, these are certainly excellent questions, but contrasting from the total depravity of man, and then this is almost like a transitional statement, right? So after you talk about how man is cut off, how man is evil, and, and in his heart says, there is no God, David is saying, you know, who, who can come into your, your presence? Who can come into the place to worship God? In verse 2, someone should read that one. So the next, the next verse here is answering the question. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness, that is to labor, and speaks the truth in his heart. So if you think about what was the, at the beginning of Psalm 14, what, what does man say in his heart? Right, so we're comparing heart to heart, Right? So you go from saying there is no God to talking about being in God's presence. And uh, we have to speak the truth in our heart. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Now, I guess I might want to clarify what Jesus was doing, at least from the way that I read um, the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know that he's so much intensifying it as actually asking them to bear with it honestly. You see, we, we got a whole lot. What Jesus is doing in the Gospels is going against the religious order who has created all these external forms that look like righteousness but are not righteousness. Uh, and, so, and so what Jesus is saying is uh, you can have all the outside trappings that look good, but if there's sin in your heart, right? And this is, you know, these were the actual intents of, of, the, of the commands of God. We're getting at, weren't even getting at, but simply stated. What they did is they said, okay, we're going to explain what these mean, and we're going to make all these extra rules um, it still comes down to what's in the heart, uh, but but thinking and understanding that he's not adding to the law, he is he is clarifying what the law is. Um, but but if you you know you, you look at this, you speak truth in your heart, and and that's what causes you to to have the works of righteousness in your in your life, and when you're doing the works of righteousness. Uh, we are walking uprightly. Um, so then it goes into, look, starting with verse 3, um, we see that it says, what? Who would like to read verse 3 for us? 
So it, it moves immediately into what some of these actions would actually look like, right? Um, so he who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up reproach against his friend. Um, I actually think this kind of ties into what Jonathan was talking about when you think about uh, what Jesus is saying at the Sermon on the Mount. Um, there are many people who would say, yep, I know that I shouldn't do that middle line, evil to my neighbor, right? But but we have a, we have a tendency to want to define that, what that looks like. Those are merely external things. Like if I come up and, since we're talking about Jonathan, punch Jonathan in the nose, right? That's an external, what's that? <laughs> Probably hurt my hand a lot too. But, but the, the, the point is, we look at, at evil against our neighbor as the being, those physical things. I go in and I steal from him, right? I take things from him. I bring physical harm to him or his property. But we, we ignore the roots of those things, right? You know, backbite with his tongue. Okay? Um, what what uh, which commandment does that bring to mind? I, I think both backbite and then taking up reproach against his friend. What 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 are what commandment is that focused on? Bearing false witness, right? Being vindictive, looking for vengeance ourselves. Um, you know, I I, th- I think when you think. You look at this, um, you know, who is your closest neighbor? Your spouse. Right? Now, some of you live alone, so maybe your closest neighbor is Mrs. Jones next door. Right? But, but the truth is, for many of you in the room, your closest neighbor is your spouse. Or if you're younger... It's the sibling or siblings that you that not only big sister up front going like this, <clears throat> but but it's also maybe the maybe you share a room with your brothers or your sisters, right? If you're if you're younger, well, I guess this is really just applicable to the front row today. <laughs> but, but I mean, but but to this is how do you speak about? that person to others, right? Um, do you ever, have you ever taken up reproach against your friend where you're trying to go after them? You're trying to bring down judgment. Uh, one of the commentaries I was reading talked about this kind of talking about tail bearing. I guess modern English tattletaler or you know sometimes you know we do that with God too God get him get him right we shouldn't be behaving in that way and we should ask God to bring justice to them and we should ask God to bring mercy to them or deliver them or remove them deliver them or remove them. Let God be the one that decides how that justice and mercy is poured out. 
Um, but 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 you can see that bearing false witness is the is the root to um, dealing evil to your neighbor. Uh, verse four. Somebody read verse four, please. So, you know, there's uh, the, the way that the punctuation is set up. This is a continuing thought, nor does he take up reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. So, in this, uh, what's a vile person? A flagrant sinner. So, maybe the one who's spoken of in, in chapter 14, something. Psalm 14. Um, so, are we are we despising the person themselves, or are we despising their activity? I can't hear you. Activity. Um, and so, so we have a, a way of we don't want to speak. Now, this you, you find this commonly. We speak admirably about those that don't know Christ. Now, we certainly can look at someone's fruit and say, well, despite being a sinner, uh, it certainly appears that in this area or that area, um, they're, they're doing a good job. Um, but um, what, what's going on there? I can say someone has great leadership skills. They could be Stalin or Mao. Right? I mean, isn't that a possibility? So, so I, it, it's it's important to say that we bring honor to those. Um, you know, we we honor and we speak of honor uh, of those who fear Yahweh, whose lives are centered on following Yahweh God Himself. Um, and and you know sometimes, and this is something if you have children house um, that you want to be mindful of yourself in terms of teaching them uh, is sometimes the person who uh, the persons that fear the Lord are living their lives according to God's word they're not flashy right it's not spectacularly looking because you know what happens what, what, did, what did evil men do in, in, in uh, Southeast Asia? They, they created mines that looked like shiny toys. That's evil. But the truth is, our children, if we don't teach them these things, to, be, to not just appreciate something for the fruit looking good, right, good to the eye, that you know, the flashy lifestyle, right? Um, whether it's thuggish or fashion or whatever it is, cars, um, you know, all of these different things, attractive women. I'm bringing that up because those are things that are put out there of the, the, the person who doesn't fear God. It's shiny, flashy. Oh, man, those are the things that I want. I desire these things. And so we want to teach our children speak well of those that you know 
in, in the body of Christ that are fearing the Lord, that are living that in that way. Teach them what it means to um, honor people like that. And like I said, it ha- oftentimes it's not flashy. As a matter of fact, I'm concerned if, if the man of God is flashy looking. Right? I, I think that presents questions uh, for us to consider. And it, it's interesting here. So after this, he says, He who swears on his own hurt and does not change. So he, he comes before God and he says, All right, uh, I'm not going to change even if it's costly, even if it brings harm to me. I'm standing firm in my trust of God. You, well, we. we right. Um, but I, I do think that, that what we have to recognize is that sometimes fearing God has a cost. Following God has a cost. And, and again, in, in our conversations with our children, with our spouses, we want to speak in a way that has a recognition of this. Um, because we, we need to not be changing our, our values, our truth of God's word. Unfortunately, human nature, sinful nature as it is, many people come into a place of influence they spend their life doing this. Which way is the wind blowing? And that's the position that I'm going to take. <coughs> Excuse me. So I would, I, I would say that we've got to, to stand firm on God's word, and that's the point that he's making here. And, and this is, remember, all of these things, what's the point being made here? Who can abide in God's tent? his house, the place where he comes down and dwells with us. Um, I I say this frequently. I'm I'm always amazed at how, you know, I I do uh, the study for Sunday school on Saturdays um, after I finish my sermon. And I'm always fascinated by how frequently what I'm going to say on Sunday morning is reflective right in the psalm that we're addressing uh, the, the next day, um, and and you know we're we're, we're studying uh, worship right now, and this week we're talking about how God summons us to His presence to call that particular part of the five parts of worship, and so God calls us to come into His presence as His people. He does this, and and so the question for us is. Who can abide in the tabernacle? Who can dwell in his holy hill? And I would point out that, back to verse 2 for a second, he who walks uprightly and does and and works righteousness. Um, Liturgy, the word liturgy actually means uh, the, the works of man. In other words, man's response to God our works to him. So if we say work righteously, I mean, because all of us, back to chapter 14 or Psalm 14, all of us are depraved, right? We, we, we're sinners saved by grace, and yet we still sin. So we need to be confessing our sins, following God's word, whether it's, um, 
you know, our actions, but, but, but living repentantly before God and others, forgiving others, not letting the sun go down on our, our anger, all of these things that are stacked up to us, where God says, this is the things that you need to do. That is uh, working righteousness. Because we're not righteous on our own, but we are to come before God, follow God's directions. And this, uh, this, it is those who do these things that can enter into the place where God dwells. Uh, verse 5, who'd like to read uh, verse 5? So we're going to divide this into two sections. Uh, you know, it's, it really seems like the last line is almost like the postscript. We have a question at the beginning, right? Who can dwell in your tabernacle? Who can dwell on your holy hill? Excuse me. In the very last line, he who does these things shall never be moved. And so then it goes, so then you say, okay, well, what's sandwiched in between that we've been talking about? So we've been talking about doing evil, speaking evil, not, um, honoring um, rightly certain people. And then uh, verse five, 5 speaks really directly to how we deal with others who are under our power. Right? You don't put your money out at, at a usury. Right? And, and what that is, is you're taking advantage. Someone needs a loan, so you loan them money at a high interest rate. I remember many years ago, when this, I know interest rates are rising, but, but I was counseling someone many years ago on uh, their finances, and they had a car note that was at 28%. 28%. I, I assume they were high risk. I, I don't know that. Or they just walked into it foolishly. That could have been true as well. My, my point, though, being that that is usury. Either don't loan the money because you know they're not going to pay you, or um, you can't loan it in a way that is excessive. God speaks very clearly about that throughout his word. That's taking advantage of somebody's weakness. Um. On, on the contrary, so that's, you have the power, instead of taking advantage of someone, you grant them mercy and, and, and care for them. But, but then there's this other, is you don't take a bribe against the innocent. Yes, sir. Sure, no, go ahead.
No, no. I, I like the question. This is the point of this. Rick, you had a comment? That's, that's correct. know and that's how it used to be right you used to know your bankers names you knew everybody that worked the, the teller's desk they knew you but my wife grew up in a town of a bunch of farmers and, and the same thing the banks I mean everybody knew everything that was going on they actually would drive past your fields right and they'd recognize they would recognize and their crops are doing well or man it looks rough over there we might need get brother so-and-so to go over there and talk to them and see how things are going, right? In other words, looking out for their interests. And, and, and as far as uh, Dr. Bonson's concerned, I'm sure that um, he is smarter than I on financial matters. Um, what, what, I, I, what I would say in this is, is this is about taking advantage, you know, when, when it speaks to, to usury interest. And, and in that... We are committed not to take advantage of people. One of the questions is if somebody's in crisis, who are they turning to, right? Um, for uh, unbelievers, um, they, they are turning to people who will uh, take advantage of them. And there is the command in Scripture for us to care for our brothers and sisters in a different light, right? Yes. So, yes, you know, it tells you that if you find yourself in that place to uh, throw yourself into doing everything you can to get out of that financial difficulty, right? So there is that as well. Sometimes, sometimes debt is caused by you and poor decisions, and sometimes it's external things that are greater than you. Um, but the question is, how do we address that? And, you know, I think the, the scriptures are pretty clear terms of how uh, deacons should be working in the church and, and how the church should be responding to those in the body of Christ. Um, and, and in terms of market values, um, I, I think that we have to be careful about what the market will bear. For example, um, if after a hurricane, if I load up a truckload of water and I drive it down there, and I know there are some in the church that would disagree with me. I load it up and I take it down there. Um, I probably I have to sell it for a profit. In other words, I've got to be able to get the, the money I've spent into it, um, unless I'm chosen to donate it, right? Um, so there's a certain percentage that is like factor costs. What's a reasonable profit? But if I go down there and charge you twenty dollars a bottle of water, 
um, uh, you know, that, that, that's taking advantage of your dire situation. And that's, that's evil. That's not right. Yes. So, so here, here, so here's what I would say about that. I, I would like for Mr. Bonson sometime to come with me. At, no, 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 no. I mean, come with me after a hurricane. After a hurricane is blown through Louisiana and busted into pieces, let's take a truckload of water down there and see how he feels about that. Looking at people, human, real human beings. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I, the, sure. Uh, right, but but right, that's different though. Because when I used the example of the water, I didn't know that he had used that exact one in a disaster, right? To me, no, yes, he said he did. He said Bonson used that exact scenario. So, well, so, so, so that's kind of my point. That's kind of my point. I am fine for a, a free market, okay? I'm fine with that and how that all works ordinarily. But when you're doing things, when people are vulnerable and you're doing things in a way that you make them do it that's the problem right um so anyway that i I think that that's important and then it goes and, and of course all of this comes back to inside the body of christ how we're to behave how we're to treat our brothers and sisters in christ um um, i think that's important uh, as well and, but, this, but the second half of this is he doesn't take bribe against the innocent. So th- this is actually um, functioning as a judge, right? So sometimes we have a person that's an actual judge. Sometimes you have uh, community leaders that act in, as judges within their community or families, right? We are called not to be paid in order to, to take a certain decision. Uh, now, it's interesting. Scripture teaches us on the whole, and I don't have all my references right here, but I do know this. Scripture teaches us on the whole, it is okay for us to pay a bribe, but not to demand one. Right? Sometimes God puts us in circumstances where we need to pay. A, a recent example of this is uh, this past winter when we were trucking stuff from Poland into Ukraine, um, we've been doing that for since the beginning of the war. Um, we finally had guards uh, at the border take some of what we were bringing in. Right, we were carrying winter sleeping bags, heaters, camp stoves, and fuel. Right, 
They didn't take a lot. But I imagine their families were cold too, right? And they took that. Maybe they took it so they could profit from it. I don't know those the hearts of those men. But basically, I just told the rest of the board of chief, we just need to consider that part of the cost at this point of going in into, into there. Buy a little extra and expect them to take it and assume it's just like a tax, right? So we're paying a bribe. I, I'm very thankful that they didn't seize everything in the truck, right? They just, it, and literally, it really wasn't that much. I bet it didn't make up 5% of what we had that they took, right? Um, I suspect they were in need because if they were going for profit, I think they would have taken a lot more. But again, I don't, I don't know their heart, but it, it's important for us to recognize that sometimes God puts us in places where it isn't necessarily right that someone's demanding something of us. But we should um, go ahead and, and uh, capitulate and give it to them so that we can carry on business, do the greater good, etc. And again, I just want to circle back this last line, he who does all these things shall never be moved. Um, now, first of all, um, the, the piece of the good news here is we know that none of us fulfill these things all the time. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Um but praise be to God, the Father sent the Son. He came, and He did, in fact, um, do all these things. And guess what? His righteousness never moves. He's absolutely consistent. Right? Um, so our salvation is found in He who does these things, who has done all these things. He is always faithful. He is always just, and he laid down his life for us. And so if we, as we mentioned back there in, in uh, verse 2, if we live a penitent life trusting in Jesus Christ and his righteousness and not our own, remember this contrasts everything in Psalm 14 that's all about what I determine and I think and, and, and me is my, I'm depending on myself, Right? When you say there is no God, who is your God? Yourself. Right? So the contrast here is great. Call upon the Lord Jesus. Right? Because he's the only one that can never be moved. Questions or comments? Yes, sir. Well, and I think this is leading up to, um, you know, we're talking about God's presence, right? Being in his presence, it's, it's in a tent, 
for sin becomes more permanent in a temple, which becomes eternally permanent with Christ as the cornerstone and the people of God as the stones built upon that sure foundation. What's that? I mean, I, th- I think that's that's the, the what's happening here. There's this development of what this permanency means. Any other questions or comments? We're in good shape. We have a minute and 15 seconds. All right. When, when I studied this, I thought, man, it's kind of short. Are we going to make it <laughs> a stretch? Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your faithfulness that you do stand firm and that our salvation is firmly in you and not of ourselves. Forgive us of our sins. Please prepare us, uh, prepare our hearts for the renewal of your covenant promises to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.